Welcome to Bible 2 Go. Romans chapters 4 through 7 is today's Bible reading. Read and listen to the Bible daily where we read through the complete New Testament in 90 days. Today's Bible reading from the message. Visit the audio Bible 2 Go archive for all previous Bible readings. Thank you for being with us today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, help me understand your word. The words I'm reading today. Help me to love others. As you have. And do. Love me. Amen. Let's begin today's Bible reading in. Romans chapter 4. Trusting God. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. 4-5 If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay, we don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust Him to do it, you could never do it for yourself no matter how hard and long you worked, well, that trusting Him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. Sheer gift. 6-9 David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are whisked away. Whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person against. Whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God? 10-11 Now think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? That's right, before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he had embraced with his whole life. 12 And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as gods, in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision not just because of the ritual but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them, the way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. 1315 That famous promise God gave Abraham, that he and his children would possess the earth, was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise, that's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise and God's promise at that, you can't break it. 16 This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in His way, and then simply embracing Him in what He does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it, those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father, that's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. 
17:18 we call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody isn't that what we've always read in scripture God saying to Abraham I set you up as father of many peoples Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do raise the dead to life with a word make something out of nothing when everything was hopeless Abraham believed anyway deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do but on what God said he would do and so he was made father of a multitude of peoples God himself said to him you're going to have a big family Abraham 1925 Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless this 100-year-old body could never father a child nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up he didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions he plunged into the promise and came up strong ready for God sure that God would make good on what he had said that's why it is said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right but it's not just Abraham it's also us The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. Romans 5. Developing patience. 1-2 by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. 3:5 there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. 6:8 Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. 9:11 now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. The death-dealing sin, the life-giving gift. 12:14 you know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in, first sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. 15:17 yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God, 
Just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence, the verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, absolute life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right, that the one man Jesus Christ provides. 1819 Here it is in a nutshell, just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, one man said yes to God and put many in the right. 2021 All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't, and doesn't, have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Romans 6. When death becomes life. 1-3 A So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. 3b5 That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus, when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. 611 Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him, but alive He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way, sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you, God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. 12-14 That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time, remember, you've been raised from the dead. Into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. What is true freedom? 15-18 So, since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose command set you free to live openly in his freedom. 19 I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had? And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness? 2021 As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, 
you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living, or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. 22-23 But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put-together life right now, with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. Romans 7. Torn between one way and another. 1-3 You shouldn't have any trouble understanding this, friends, for you know all the ins and outs of the law, how it works and how its power touches only the living. For instance, a wife is legally tied to her husband while he lives, but if he dies, she's free. If she lives with another man while her husband is living, she's obviously an adulteress. But if he dies, she is quite free to marry another man in good conscience, with no one's disapproval. 4-6 So, my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died He took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with Him and left it in the tomb, leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived that old way of life, doing whatever we felt we could get away with, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And this made us all the more rebellious. In the end, all we had to show for it was miscarriages and stillbirths. But now that we're no longer shackled to that domineering mate of sin, and out from under all those oppressive regulations and fine print, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. 7 But I can hear you say, if the law code was as bad as all that, it's no better than sin itself. That's certainly not true. The law code had a perfectly legitimate function. Without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would be mostly guesswork. Apart from the succinct, surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed covetousness up to look like a virtue and ruin my life with it. 812 Don't you remember how it was? I do, perfectly well. The law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened, though, was that sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. The law code, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, sin looked pretty dull and lifeless, and I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hands on the law code and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled, and fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive, and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense, each command sane and holy counsel. 13 I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good, that is, the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could ever have accomplished on its own. 14-16 I can anticipate the response that is coming, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself, after all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. 1720 But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, 
Don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. 2123 It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. 24 I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? 25 The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Hashtag Amen. Read through the New Testament in 90 days. Thank you for being here. Listening and reading the Bible daily with Bible 2 Go. Sincerely. Michael and Michelle. Shell. Join us. Again. Tomorrow. As we continue reading God's Word with Audio Bible 2 Go. Visit. Bible. Dot the number. 2. Then. G. O. Dot U.S. See you again tomorrow.